As we get started tonight, I want to say thank you for being a great partner with us at Ozark Christian College. The church is where God is changing and making lives different. And uh, the first thing is that I know a lot of people that you know, and uh, you've hired some people that I know, so you can let me know how they're doing later if you want to. Um, but I want to say thank you for your work that you have done, and it's very exciting to see all of you give up a Friday night, and I hope again tomorrow morning, and it is an honor for you to be here, um, and I take this as a great statement of your interest in being the kind of people that God really wants for you to be, and I really want you to know that the Lord is moving and changing and growing and shaping people all over, and we get an opportunity to take a look at his word tonight and look at some very practical elements of that when it comes to our relationships with each other. So the first thing I want to say to you is thank you so much for your partnership with the gospel. The second thing that I want to say to you is get ready to learn some really cool things and have a really good time uh, as we take a look at this um, whole idea of marriage. We're going to be taking a look at the biblical foundations of marriage tonight. And we're going to actually see a little bit about what God is up to in your relationship that brings out his redemption story. Why did he design marriage the way that he designed it? Why is it that he calls you into this relationship that some people say maybe God made marriage more to create a holiness in us rather than to let us be happy? Because you know that living on top of each other sometimes is not all that pleasant. My wife and I are extremely different. My wife's name is Vanna, as in Vanna, pick me a letter, um, fame, as a television show. And the Copa Cavana with Barry Manilow, you know, we just... Had a great time with her name. She's named after her father because she was supposed to be a boy. Um, and I was really glad she's a girl so I could marry her. So that was really nice. So uh, Vanna and I are extremely different. And you may have married somebody who is almost exactly your opposite. And you know that sometimes when you get together, you make sweet, beautiful harmony. And other times when you get together, you make great, big, flashy sparks. And what I want to do is talk to you a little bit about what God is really trying to accomplish through this great enterprise called marriage. And we're going to look at some very exciting biblical truths about that tonight. Tomorrow we're going to talk about communication, and we're going to be dealing with your relationship from a really practical standpoint about how to relate to each other. You have in front of you um, notes that you can follow along with and write down. Some of you will be writing down notes. And you also have right behind the actual presentation notes all of the slides so you don't have to write anything down off of the slides tonight if you don't want to. If you like to learn by listening, then you just sit back and you soak in those one or two really good ideas that are going to be meaningful for you. Um, and if you like to take furious notes, take furious notes um, and write down everything that you want and watch that little elbow as it goes out to the other person, um, helping them to understand that this is a really important point that you're paying attention to, if you know what I'm talking about. Um, so let's open up with a word of prayer, and we're going to dive into this idea of what is God up to in you for the next hour, hour and ten minutes or so. Lord, thank you so much that we have an opportunity to love you as a community and to be able to serve you as a community. And now, as brothers and sisters, we get to study your word, which there's not much more that is more exciting than seeing what you're up to and then seeing you do that. Lord, we thank you so much for the testimonies that are in this room of your goodness and your greatness, of how redemption story sings in our lives. 
and how we can never get so far away from you that we cannot come back and have restored what is lost. Lord, as we open up the Bible, as we open up ourselves to you tonight, we pray that you will teach us and you will guide us and help for us to really see and understand what you have in mind when you created marriage. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, as you take a look at this, I'm going to go pretty much off of these slides that are up here, uh, which, which pretty much follow along at the very beginning point of, of the handouts that you actually have in front of you. Um, when you take a look at this, Christian, this idea of Christian marriage, what I want to just lay out for you is a Christian marriage is comprised of three people. There is a man, there is a woman, who are husband and wife, and there is a God. And marriage is also created in the image of God as a triune relationship. And what I want to just lay out for you is it's impossible for you to do this on your own. If you are a regular man, you are not a woman and you're not going to get her all the time. And if you're a regular woman, you're not going to understand your man all the time. But I can tell you that the one who puts you together understands the other. And he is the glue that holds you all together. In fact, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18... Moses writes to us, it is not good for man to be alone, so I will make a helper suitable. Now, what the rabbis take a look at this is that they understand that God made a woman in order to come alongside of a man. So let me tell you, ladies, a little bit about what's in your husband's heart with you. And you can ask him which one of these or both is a part of his selection of you, beyond the fact that you're amazing anyway. But a man will pick a lady to help him to do two things, generally speaking. A man will select his wife in order to join him because he's going to go do something. He wants to go and explore. He wants to go and create. He wants to go and accomplish something. And he wants somebody to go along with him to help out with that. So at Ozark Christian College, you know, we have guys that want to be ministers. And they're out looking for the minister's wife. You know what I mean? And you know that if a woman does not want to be a minister's wife and marries a guy that wants to be a minister, he will not stay a minister, right? Because what a man wants more than anything else is peace in his house. Sorry, guys, I'm going to give it up. A guy wants peace, which is why women, you can control him with nagging and haranguing and upsetness. And you can kind of manipulate things because he wants peace more than he wants anything else. Because he wants you to come along with him and he wants to have this partnership. He wants to go do something. Well, the second reason that a guy would select a wife is to, and I I want to use the word, kind of complete him. There's a loneliness inside of him. It is not good for man to be alone. No good thing happens for an alone man. I mean, if you take a look at school shooters, they're not girls, are they? They're guys. If you take a look at how this all started with post-traumatic stress disorder, with vets coming on back, and they were kind of shooting in the postal area, you know that every single one of those guys was alone. It is not good for a man to be alone because he doesn't have the ability, like a lady has, which we'll get to in just a moment, to build the kind of relationships that he really needs to. And indicators of well-being for men tend to go down the more alone he is. Isn't that interesting? He, God put the desire for intimacy On the heart of a man. Now, once a guy gets married, he might think that he accomplished that and he stops talking, which is really a mistake. So, gentlemen, you got to remember that if you want to kickstart your marriage, the the fastest and easiest way to do that is to go back and do the things that captured your wife's heart in the first place. 
So instead of coming home and watching television and not communicating, you actually like talk and spend time and like interact in a particular way that allows for her to know who you are and bond with her again because she wants to know, do you, how do you want me? Do you want me to kind of join with you to accomplish something? Do, do you really like being around me? Do, do, you, do you sense that I help fill up this loneliness inside of you? Well, when God made Adam, he allowed for Adam to have fellowship with animals. And I, I hate to break it to you, but a dog is not man's best friend. Now, a dog is pretty nice from the standpoint that he doesn't like talk back or, you know, just kind of have to come home and say, uh, you know, Peter, we have a problem. We need to talk about this tonight. And, and it's unsatisfying for a guy to relate to anybody other than somebody who is kind of his equal in this area. And so God caused Eve to have a deep sleep and allowed for Eve, or God, God caused Adam to have a deep sleep and created Eve in order to be this partner. So ladies, I think you're the crown jewel of creation, to be honest with you. You're way more complicated than guys. Would you agree with me? You can have emotions and you don't even know why you're having emotions. You're just having emotions. And, and when your husband asks you kind of what's going on, you look at him and go, don't know what's going on but here's kind of what it feels like bah! and he looks at you and goes okay just calm down just a little bit here this is all right we can kind of work this out you are really way more complicated but i want you to know this that when women get alone like widowed or women are alone and unmarried they build social networks a lot better than guys do have you noticed that God didn't say it's not good for a woman to be alone. She can be just fine without guys, by the way. That really is true. She can be just fine. So, gentlemen, if you think you're all that in a bag of chips, sorry. Now, they can be just fine. They like you, and they want to be with you, and they want to interact with you most of the time, because it's hard to live with a guy sometimes. But women are created differently. And we're going to talk a little bit about that tomorrow and what really is this fundamental difference in creation? Because the creation is different in order to accomplish something. Think about it. God made men and women differently for a reason to accomplish something. So what I want you to think about the very first stop is this. What we are losing in the culture is companionship. What we're losing is a deep sense of intimacy. But what God has written on the heart of every man and the heart of every woman is to be known and to understand, to be understood and to understand another person. And that is the thing that tends to collapse. And right here, right out of the block, in Adam being created in the image of God, God looks at every single man in here and he says, if you're completely alone, you will tend to deteriorate. Isn't that interesting? So we go home and we create aloneness in our own marriages. And guess what happens to us? We deteriorate. We get angry, we get hostile, we get addicted. And women are there to relate to us, but somehow we tend to lose that connection. And we're going to explore how you can get reconnected and move forward and, and take kind of picture of where that's at and go on. Now, I, I need to confess to you that um, I am a male. And as a male, uh, when I come home and my wife asks me, Peter, how are you doing today? And how was your day? I will say the classic male thing. Let's see if you can figure it out. It's one word. It starts with the letter F. It is the Christian F word, if you will. And it is the word fine. Um, ladies, how well do you like that? Any lady like that word? 
My wife doesn't seem to like it. I love to say it all the time. How are you doing? I'm, I'm fine. Are you really okay? I'm, I'm good. Are you fine? I'm fine. If you ask me again, I'm not going to be fine. But I'm fine right now. There's something about us that shuts down the very thing that we want to have within a fallen world. And our, our wives are out there trying to communicate with us in some really cool way. And so right here out of the block, what I want you to see is this. And gentlemen, I want you to ask yourself this question immediately is, how well am I doing not being alone in my own marriage? Because the loneliest place for a man is next to his wife in bed, feeling like a stranger. It's terrible. And the loneliest place for a woman is right in bed next to her husband. It's not good for a man to be alone. So I will make a helper suitable. And what we're going to do is we're going to blow that open and we're going to take a look at what that actually means. But before we do that, marriage is worth laughing at. Thus, the first video of the evening. Andrew placed the ring on Melissa's hand and repeat after me. I, Andrew Paul Daniel Ingstrom. I'm not putting it on the wrong way. I, Andrew Paul Daniel Ingstrom. I, Andrew Paul Daniel Ingstrom. Do take Melissa Renee Warren. Do take Melissa Renee Warren. To be my lawfully wedded wife. To be my waf- lawfully. <laughs> and pancakey. <laughs> I've been scared of this all my life. Just give her a second. It's okay, folks. I've seen this before. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I, Andrew Paul. See man and wife. The court will take a recess. sometimes, aren't they? I mean, there's something about them. There's something about the sacredness of the moment that kind of breaks away to the hilarity of something that happens. But that sacredness of the moment is something that I want for you to really go there with me and take a look at the most important scriptures about marriage, which are opened up for us in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, 25, 
uh, where he talks about that a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. When you take a look at this idea of forsaking a father and mother, what happens is is that we're going to go back to the um, patriarchal time period, and I want to talk to you a little bit about what this process really means. So kind of put on your Moses hat and your Abraham hat with me. And think of us as a nomadic people. And we're going to pull some principles out of this. Back in this time period, uh, wife, uh, the potential wife, the fiancé, would live with her family in her little tent compound over here. And the groom would live with his family in the little tent compound over here. And they would negotiate this arranged marriage, which we don't have to go into all of those details. But what would happen is, is that the wife would leave. She would come on over to her husband's tent compound area. And she would get married. And when she entered into that tent compound area, he would move out of his dad's tent and into his own tent. This is a relational realignment. A man is to leave all other relationships and to reprioritize his life. I call this a relational realignment. And the reason for this is that there can be no rivals to this relationship. This relationship is driving into intimacy, and the more that there are rivals, the more conflict will be present. And gentlemen, I want you to know this. Your wife comes with a fully functioning, jealous gene. You probably experienced this while you were dating. You didn't give her enough time, didn't give her the right kind of tone. I mean, I'm not wanting to make fun, but I do want you to kind of smile and go, oh, yes, yes, I do remember that. Uh, you didn't send enough cards. You didn't communicate in the right way. You didn't call and say good night every night. You didn't call and say good morning in the morning. I mean, every woman sort of organizes what this really means for her. So she understands that there is a shift so she can fully give herself. There's a relational realignment and she's fully functional. Now, most of the guys in here are going to struggle with work. And we're going to struggle with our volunteerism. I'm an elder of a church. And my wife needs all of your sympathy cards because she has to share me with a very large church at Christ Church of Ornogo. And there are times that I just have to go. And she hasn't always liked those times, if you know what I'm talking about, because she has a jealousy gene that says, I really need to know for me to be able to give myself to you that we really have the most unique and the closest relationship possible. And I say, well, yeah, we do, because I come home every night. And I'm with you in the evening. And I spend more hours with you than I spend with anybody else. Because, you know, I count sleeping hours as part of those hours. My wife doesn't like my calculations. Because she's looking at quality plus time equals relational realignment. So, gentlemen, some of you in here have to do what I do. And you have to actually chop out very good things out of your schedule so that you can have the kind of marriage that you need to have. Because your wife will not tolerate a rival. And when your rival is your workplace, or your rival is your hobby, or your rival is your church work, or your rival is a child, or your rival is something valuable, and she feels like she is being diminished, the jealousy gene kicks up because a man is to leave and to attach. He leaves his father and his mother, he realigns all of his relationships, and she becomes the most important relationship to him. Now, I know that there's all kinds of potential problems with that, but that is what the scripture tells us, keeps this relationship going because it's going to mirror something else. Always ask yourself, why did God say that? Why did God give us that 
and say, this is what I want you to accomplish. I want you to realign yourself, gentlemen. Now, I do want you to know men stray more than women. Men are addicted to things more than women. Men tend to minimize problems rather than really take a look at them realistically. Men tend to think that they can just make it up as they go and everything's going to be really fine and good. I mean, we know we have those tendencies. And so one of the first stops now out of this idea of partnership, gentlemen, that I want to give to you is, have you really realigned yourself? And do you really realign yourself on a regular basis? Because if your life is like mine, it sort of gets out of balance. And what happens is, is other things kind of get thrown in there. And we're okay with a little more distance than our wives are. So the first stop is relational realignment. Now, the second one is be united to his wife, to cleave to his wife. Now, this word has both conversational intimacy built into it and physical sexual intimacy built into it. This is the way that a man and a woman tend to bond to each other. Now, you've probably heard that a man is not, uh, or a woman is not as interested in sexual expressions as guys are. And if you're married, you probably have watched some of that. That really is more true than false. And when men are given uh, an, some kind of an, an assessment tool, they will always put sex in one of the top three areas that are most important to them. Because God gave us this drive. And part of the reason he gave us the drive is so that we will relationally realign and we will come back and attach to our wives. That's part of the reason of the drive. The drive is an attachment drive. It's not just kind of a crazy, let's just have pleasure drive. It's a, I'm going to have pleasure with you drive so I can attach to you. And then secondly, women will tend to put it a lot lower. So Gary Smalley did, did some research. And he found that women generally, on average, place the interest in sex on number 13 of a list. And 13 for a guy corresponds with gardening. <laughs> so, if you have sex in the garden, that could be a really good thing. <laughs> just, I'm just saying, you might want to try that. It's a little cold tonight, but you might want to try something like that. Cleaving is this stitching together both conversationally as well as physically. Not only do you have a relational realignment of priorities where you both forsake everything else, but men really have to do this. You have this weaving in and out of a relationship um, in a really important way. So let me give you a really quick shorthand. First to the guys. Women build relationships through conversation. Women build relationships through conversation, which is why they're always talking to you even when you're falling asleep. Now, I'm, I am not an early morning awake person. I wake up by 10 o'clock unless I have a healthy dose of coffee or move or something. So sometimes I do show up at school and I'm a little blurry-eyed and I get really silly when I get that way. My wife wakes up wide awake ready to talk. So I actually lay in bed praying that God will wake me up and pretending I'm asleep or my wife will start speaking to me before my feet hit the ground. And I don't do very well with that very well. Because she can, like, tell me really important things. Because she wakes up and she has an agenda going in her own mind. And her mind is, you know, just spewing out all these important, incredible details. Because she's building a relationship with me. And I'm, like, laying there going, please, no relationship building. It's too early. No, no, too early. No relation. Let's, let's just lay in bed and just build our relationship that way. Men build relationships by doing. By doing. 
So if I lay down with my wife and we just like sleep, I'm doing something with her. I feel really close to her. Oh, yes. I love doing nothing in the morning. She loves talking in the morning, which is really kind of hilarious. We build relationships with different accents. Now, gentlemen, I also want you to know this. Your wife will have a fight with you so she can be closer to you. Yes, thank you. That is really true. And women will go, mm-hmm, don't give up all my secrets, boy. I'm going to take you out to the woodshed. A woman will fuss with you so in the end you can both apologize and be fine. But men hear it as disrespect. There's another verse we're going to end up in, in Ephesians chapter 5. So one of the primary ways that women use conversation is that they want to work on something because it's the working on something as a team where you both win in the end that they actually feel closer with. Can I get an amen, ladies? You feel that way? Yes, you do. So when a man walks in the door and he's coming in and she starts unloading on him and he's barely in the door, which my wife does that. And I just say, please, not yet, because I haven't made the transition yet to home. What she's saying is, I'm so glad that you're here. You're ready. Let's talk about this. Let's build our relationship. Let's have a really great time. And I'm like, get out the battle axes and clear the way because I must find rest. It's not a really good time for us. And the transitions are when we have most of our difficulties. It's really fascinating, and I want to ask you this. Why did God make us that way? Why did he say, I want you to have a relational realignment? Why did he say that I want you to weave through conversation? I want you to weave your relationship through physically expressing your love to each other. Why did he make us that way? There's something going on here. You can't forget, which we'll get to in just a minute. Why did he do that? Well, the third thing that, that is written here is that you will become one flesh. You'll become one flesh. Um, it's really fascinating to me how people have been married a really long time start looking like each other. So I really do want to apologize to you, or to apologize to my wife early that she's going to kind of look like this. <laughs> she gets, I'm hoping that I will look more pretty than she will look ugly. But um, there is this um, issue that's going on and that God, is, this, is, this is written in the passive, is that God sort of stitches us and knits us all together. And what he's doing is he's creating this one flesh idea And basically what happens is that we will essentially function as one unit. We have the same values. We have the same interests. We have the same considerations. We we don't always have the same likes. But we, we find that unity and we find rest within that unity. And we approach our children. If you've had kids, you know this. You have to approach your children with one united front because they pick on the weakest link to get what they want. And if that's dad, then dad vetoes everything that mom says. If that's mom, mom vetoes everything that dad says. And as a result, the united front of the marriage collapses and the whole family goes into some kind of relational chaos for the moment. If mom and dad are not together, then it doesn't work. And if a husband and wife have energy that turns on itself, then the husband and wife fight. And it's really miserable. So I go back to where you were trying to figure out, do you go to which in-laws first for Thanksgiving and Christmas? Some people really care about that, and they fight about it. They're they're trying to figure out which family is going to be the less angry with us. Well, I think my family will be more angry. Well, I think my family will be more angry. I've actually worked with newlywed couples at Ozark Christian College that fight over how much time they're going to spend at Thanksgiving, the number one family holiday with whichever family it is. And that energy turns on itself. They're not functioning as one entire unit. So this idea then is lived out sexually with the, the unity of sexual expression with each other. This idea is lived out in being able to discuss and 
work out problems and find solutions. These are the three big ideas that God has given. Why did God say, realign your whole life? Why did God say, gentlemen, learn to have conversations? Why did God say, ladies, learn to have activities? And why did God say, I'm putting you out in the whole world as a man and a woman, fundamentally different in lots of ways, functioning as one unit? Well, I have a little picture up here about two different colors. And I've tried to do this with Play-Doh, and I often bring it, but it's really hard for me to find the right kind of Play-Doh anymore uh, because Play-Doh is no longer making great bright red, which I really hate. I need to write a letter to them and say, please send me all your bright red Play-Doh because I can find blue. And basically, what I want you to think about this is go this with me, go here with me in your mind, is that boys are going to represent blue and girls are going to represent red, pink, and those are the, the differences before you get married. And think of two little Play-Doh people here who date and, you know, love each other and finally get married and a minister pronounces them husband and wife and you may now kiss the bride, smash them all together and start kneading them at that point. When you heat up Play-Doh by kneading it together, you get some purple streaks that actually start. And pretty soon you have three colors. You have red, blue, and purple. And if you keep kneading it and kneading it and kneading it and kneading it, what happens is is that the purple grows and it grows and it grows. And usually I stop students when I can do this, and I say, okay, not to pick, but just to illustrate. Let's say that this couple isn't getting along very well. 50% of all divorces happen within the first three years of marriage. And so wherever it's at, I just say, okay, I want you to pull all the red out. I want you to pull all the blue out. And they're going to separate and they're going to divorce. And, of course, they're looking at this ball going, I can't pull it out. It wasn't designed to be pulled out. From the very beginning, God said, I don't want there to be divorce. Now, I know in a congregation like this, we have histories of divorce. And I, I want you to know that God is very, very compassionate on the broken. But I want you to see what he had in mind. Why did he have it in mind that it's so hard to pull it apart? What was he up to? That made it so difficult that when you become one, you actually transform your color and you're no longer red and blue, but you're purple. Which means I don't get everything I want. Ben doesn't get everything she wants, but we get what we want. A successful, healthy marriage is a marriage that transforms into us and not me versus you. And so you have this purple person that's up here. You have this one flesh person. So what I want for you to think about, and I want you to ask, how purple are you? In fact, if I could hand you a little purple army men or something, I would. Or little, little purple Martians, I would do that. How purple is your marriage? Because that's where God's driving you. God's driving you to be different from the rest of the world. And he's driving you to be purple. He's driving you to be changed. Fundamentally changed. Now, I didn't realize this, but ladies, you know this. There is a correct way to fold towels. Did you know this? My wife knows that there is a correct way to fold towels. And we had towel folding lessons when I was married because I did not fold towels correctly, which I didn't realize that there was a correct way to fold towels. And so I just thought, okay, show me how to fold towels. So my wife got out the towels and we all folded the towels. And we, we, went, we both went over to the, um, the cupboard, the, the whatever the towels go in. And she opened it up and she placed it there and she said, see, they fit. And I went... I don't get this. I don't understand why the towels have to fit in a closet that nobody's going to look at. And so I opened my stupid mouth 
Because all men suffer from dense male syndrome. We don't get it. We don't understand that. And I said, no one's going to open the door. I don't know about you, but I have not. If I come to your house, I'm not going to go around and randomly open the door to see how your towels are folded. I promise you, I'm not going to do that. It would seem a little bit odd. And I just said, I don't think anyone's going to open the door because I'm trying to help my wife get over her obsessive compulsive disorder right now, right? You know, there's, there's, the, the reason is that she has a problem. And I have to fix her problem because guys fix problems, right? And my wife obviously has a problem where she's worrying and she's staying awake and she's fussing about how to fold towels so that they go in the right way. And I have to fix. See problem, fix problem, want peace. No peace, must fix, fix problems. I either fold towels to get peace or I fix problem. I'd like to fix problem. What, what she said to me next was really interesting. I just still didn't get it. She said, but somebody might. Yes, somebody might. Here's what I found. A woman looks on her house as an extension of her. A man tends to look on the house as a place to rest and play and go from. So I don't care how dirty the house is because you don't walk in the house and go, Oh, Peter, you must be a really dirty house husband. But I promise you, if you walk into my house and it's not clean enough, you're thinking, what is wrong with his wife? Why is the house not cleaned up enough? There's something about a woman that she owns all of those things that are around her. And I didn't know that when we first got married. And what she was saying to me was, I'm loving people by keeping things organized and by making it comfortable for them to be in the house. And by coming alongside of you, Peter, so you can invite anybody into our house and they will automatically feel comfortable. That's not what I heard. I heard, Peter, you're an idiot. You don't know how to fold towels the right way. Okay? Because she couldn't say all of those things. Eventually, for those of you that have been married a long time, if you were to like lift up your shirt, you'd have like all these bruises and scars for all these little things. And somebody says, well, Peter, how did you learn that? Well, this scar right here was one of those reasons why. Because I'm a classic guy that nobody ever trained what any of this stuff really means. Women love by creating. And women love by organizing. And women love by joining in order to make everybody super comfortable. So if you come to my house, there are certain things that are going to be always in place. And then there will be some of those areas that she said, now make sure that you close this door because this room is not ready for somebody to walk by and see. Yes, ma'am. Just close that little door. So she feels comfortable about loving people the right way. Why did God make us so different? Well, I think... The Trinity is the answer. Here's what Bible theologians think. God is comprised of three, if you will, personalities slash somehow differentiated people-ish sort of somethings in one being. In one being, there's mutuality, there's differentiation, there is beauty in diversity. And in the Godhead of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which blows our brains because we can't figure out exactly how this all works. He said, I want to create my image for the world to see. And I want to do it in you. And I want you to be as different as I made you. And I want to have you as united 
as I am. So for a Christian marriage, there are three people in that marriage. There's a God, there's a husband, and there's a wife. And we live out the personality of the Trinity in our marriages. Do you see why God said divorce is not what he wants? Could God divorce himself? He can't. And for those of you that have experienced it, you know the pain associated with the pulling apart of giving yourself and and the sense that I can't do this anymore. And God says, I want to spare you of that pain, but I know you live in a fallen world and you will have that kind of a pain, but I want you to see that this is worth fighting for. I want you to see that there's something bigger here than just your happiness or just your property or just your own way of doing things or just making sure that you know what you're doing. There is me in the middle of the marriage for the world to see because if two people who are as different as you can stay married, somebody might ask you how. And the only answer is God. Take a look at the divorce rate in America today. The only answer is God. Now, there are some pagans that can stay married. They usually go off less in intimacy into some kind of mutual relationship that they sort of just enjoy. God wants deep, abiding intimacy all through your life. And he says, I am that way. I will make it that way for you. What you're doing here tonight is you're actually asking yourself, How much does my relationship with my spouse, that includes my God, reflect him and how well he functions? As Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's really what you're asking. Why did God make you so different? So you need him. Why did God make you so unique as a couple? So you're a testimony of what he can do for you and in you and through you. That's what he's doing. And he wants you to celebrate that difference rather than pick on each other. Now, this is a little side note. This is free for the entire price of the, of the evening. I just want you to know that. This is worth the entire price. Here's what I found in my 30 years of getting married. Every husband and wife can accidentally try to recreate their own image in their spouse by trying to correct what they don't prefer. Every spouse can recreate their own image by trying to correct what they do not prefer. Let me tell you a couple of these things. I am a piler. I organize by piles. I believe that everything has a place for a pile. And I believe that all piles eventually should be gotten through because I'm too busy to waste my life on shuffling papers and making sure that everything is in its proper place immediately upon arrival into our home. And so if you come into our home, there will be these little kind of piles. And if, if uh, my wife wants for that particular area to be cleaned up so you feel comfortable, i.e. she feels comfortable, she will say, <clears throat> you either need those, need those piles or I will move them. She used to organize my things for me. Death occurred every time. You can't organize my piles because I don't know where anything is. And then I get lost and I get frustrated. I'm like, ah, what do I do? And my attitude does not reflect the holy, glorious unity of the Trinity at that moment. (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. I'm influenced by some other being, I am sure. My wife believes that everything immediately goes into its place. 
And she gets stressed out when the piling system gets a certain kind of millimeter of pile on it. And I'm not really sure how high that millimeter happens to be. But every once in a while, she just goes, I'm just really frustrated because the house is so much in disarray. And the house kind of looks like this, like this room. This room is not in disarray, but your tables are a little disarrayed. I mean, she has this internal barometer of order. It's one of the reasons I married her, by the way. I like that. I just don't like her to turn it on me. I love it on the kids. I love it on her job. I can't tell you how many times my wife and I have tried to correct the fault of piling or systematizing in each other. And how many useless arguments we have had about how you don't do it the right way. And I'm angry with you because you didn't do it the way that I wanted it to be done. Now, here's what I want you to know. In a fallen world, we make everything about us. Everything about us. Church about us, if you like the music or not, if you like the preaching or not, if we like the Sunday school teacher or not, if I like my wife or not, if I like my car or not. We make everything about us. Me. What if the Father made everything about him? What if Jesus made everything about him? He would not have died on the cross. What if the Holy Spirit made everything? You think the Holy Spirit's wacky now? What if the Holy Spirit actually was schizophrenic crazy and just did whatever he wanted to do? And my goodness, we'd all be like rolling around, speaking in tongues and jumping up and down and handling snakes and everything right in here right now. The Holy Spirit just decided, oh, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. And I just really don't like it that Jesus is telling me what to do. So I'm just going to do my own thing and just shut up, Jesus. What if that actually happened? Here's what I want for you to stop and think about. This is so incredibly important for us. You don't represent just you. You represent the living, life-giving, life-sustaining God in your marriage. That's really pretty awesome. That's really pretty awesome. And I just understand it a little bit for myself. But I understand that much about it.